Good evening, scoffers. Or whenever you choose to listen to this podcast, my name's Jay. Welcome to Scoff, the Melbourne food podcast. All the news that's fit to chew, blah, blah, blah. Let's get on with it. How have you been? I've had a pretty good week. I have entered a new phase in my life, the phase of discipline. On the doorstep, the dark, dark dawn of my impending 29th birthday. Yes, that's right. These dulcet tones are coming from the mouth of a 29-year-old man who should probably know better. I have imparted on a journey. A journey of health, potentially weight loss, and a quest for purity. I'm calling it the purge. I'm purging myself of alcohol. Not one normally you'd associate with a lot of heavy drinking, but I do like a frosty bev every once in a while. Bread. And looking back on the last six days, boy, oh boy, do I eat a lot of bread. Struggling to think of a meal that uh, I can actually partake in. Once bread is removed, of course, there are many and numerous, and I'm enjoying this healthy kick. But I did eat shitloads of bread, folks. Boy, oh boy. I also think this is the longest I've ever gone in my life without chocolate and ice cream and various other delights. They did get to know my face at Peter Peepo pretty well. And just between you and me, scoffers, the face, somewhat conspicuously suspicious face, of my Nepalese friend at the local 7-Eleven when I would trundle over of an evening and load up on chocolate. He knew what I was up to. So it's certainly the longest I've ever gone without chocolate. So I'm feeling good, feeling pretty healthy. Um, The purge will continue up until my birthday this coming weekend when I will partake in a birthday meal. But I think I will, going forward, adapt elements of the diet into my day-to-day life. But it will not stop me, scoffers, from eating across the width and breadth of this state as much as possible, all in the name of research. For you, my devoted scoffers, what are we talking about this week? Something a little bit different. Obviously, as we all know, the San Pellegrino World's Top 50 is in town, baby. It's in Melbourne. The countdown is on this Sunday evening. I will not be attending, despite my attempts to get media credentialed. They didn't want me in there because I know the truth. I know the truth about you, World's Top 50, you travelling circle jerk of self-aggrandizing bullshit. I see right through you. Not really, just couldn't quite uh, muster enough industry muscle to get in. But there's always next year. Uh, The event is being held in Carlton. Um, The creme de la creme of the world's chefing elite will be in town. And I thought this week we'd talk about the history of the world's top 50, what it means to the restaurants uh, themselves. Also have a look at the bottom half of the top 50. It is known as a top top 50, but it is actually a top 100. We'll look at top numbers 100 through 51 and the surprises therein. Talk about what it means for Australian restaurants. And then we're going to have a look at what I think will be the next hottest restaurant, the next restaurant to take out number one. Alrighty, here we go. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Settle in, in your chair, kick back. Crack open a couple of Freddo frogs for Jay because he can't have them. This is Scott.
So what began as an alternate to the long-lauded Michelin Guide has since sprouted into something arguably more influential. The world's top 50 lists, an annual amalgamation, a countdown, if you will, of the best and brightest restaurants in the world. So what is the world's top 50 and what does it mean for restaurants? Well, for one, it is truly international. Unlike the Michelin Guide, it covers all the countries of the planet. Oft criticised is the Michelin Guide for not being everywhere, places in South America, lots of parts of Asia and Europe, um, various other parts of the world uh, are not covered by the Michelin Guide. I betcha it's because they're so belaboured with fatty torsos from the years of buttery goodness they've been partaking in that they can't fit on a plane to get over there. That's a joke. Hope you enjoyed that one. No, no, of course, the reason is um, they just couldn't be bothered. Let's be honest, they just couldn't be bothered. You can't look at a country like Australia, so influential on the world stage, so dynamic, a city like Melbourne, at the vanguard of the very art form of hospitality that the Michelin Guide haven't bothered to get over here and review some of our amazing restaurants. And they'll be made to look very stupid this Sunday evening when the list which has gone on to overtake the Michelin Guide in importance, the world's top 50, holds their event for only the first time ever outside of New York or London. And they choose where? They didn't choose Paris. They didn't choose San Francisco. They didn't choose Tokyo. They didn't choose any of these meccas of culinary goodness. They chose good old bloody Melbourne. My hometown, your hometown, get around it. So, the world's top 50, as we said... It is actually more than a 50, it's a 100. So I thought uh, to start off with, we'd have a look at um, some of the highlights of the bottom half of the list, and that will give us an idea going forward of who will appear in the top half of the list. And I guess the most noteworthy part to start with is that there is only one Australian restaurant in the bottom part of the top 50, which would seem to imply, given that last year, Bray... Dan Hunter's unbelievable, skull-fuckingly, beautifully great island of perfection out there in Sunny Bray in the country has pole vaulted up some 15 places into the top 50 or tragically dropped out. Now, you would think that's pretty unlikely. Uh, Dan has pretty strong connections in the world of fine dining. Obviously, he was the chef at Muguritz, the three Michelin-starred oft regarded as one of the temples of Spanish cuisine. Um, he is a heavy hitter in the world. Surely they wouldn't pull the rug from out underneath him in his own hometown and drop him out of the list. John Lethlin and the Australian went with it today. He believes that uh, Bray has vaulted into the top 50, which is incredibly exciting. But let's go back to what we talked about, the bottom half of the, uh, the list. And key... Peter Gilmore's iconic circular key fine diner, deservedly in the top 100. Some say too low. I can attest to this. I have been to key. It is unbelievable. Truly world-class and well-deserving of its position at 95. Just scanning through the list as we see. Um, other big heavy hitters such as Sushi Saito, the three Michelin star Sushi House in Tokyo, Le Chateau Brion, um, Anaki... 
as a better better better's um, game changing uh, bistro in Paris. Uh, not bragging, I've also been there. Game changer. Um, the Temple of Nose to Tail Eating Fergus Henderson St. John hangs in there at number 91. Uh, anyone watching the most recent edition of Chef's Table, not Chef's Table, a The Mind of a Chef on uh, Netflix, recently added Australian Netflix, will see that Manraiser featured heavily. Uh, the uh, Californian restaurant also having three Michelin stars is featured. Thomas Keller's Per Se at 87. Uh, the restaurant at Meadowwood, seen as a bit of a, a restaurant at the vanguard of um, uh, Paddock to Plate. One of my least favourite terms, but that one's there. Atelier Cren. We've spoken about Dominique Cren's influence uh, in the past at 83. Chef's Table at Brooklyn Fair. Um, the restaurant inside a um, bodega of sorts in Brooklyn, which also has three Michelin stars. Sitting at number 82 in the world, according to the San Pell Top Top 100. Uh, just scanning through here, you've got the French Laundry, Thomas Keller's other restaurant at 68, uh, and his ex-lieutenant Corey Lee's um, very well-regarded Japanese restaurant, Benyu of San Francisco, sitting at number 67. Um, the Test Kitchen of uh, Cape Town, South Africa's lone contribution to the list at number 63. Uh, David Chang's Momofuku Co., the uh, jewel in the crown of the Momofuku um, uh, Empire at number 58. Um, and perhaps a little bit low in a restaurant that's featured high in the list and maybe one that's fallen um, guilty, sort of fallen victim to the chef's um, proclivity for hobnobbing, as of late, is Magnus Nielsen's Favikin, sitting at number 57. A little bit low, I would have thought, um, considering the buzz. Maybe Magnus has spent too much time out of the kitchen promoting his book and whatnot. Get back in there, Magnus, and get a haircut, old boy. Uh, and Lyles, London, 54. That one's kicking goals. Uh, and the other one, which I think is worth mentioning, at least from an Australian perspective, is Singapore's Burn Ants, run, owned, operated by Aussies. Kicking goals. Well done, boys. You have certainly made a massive contribution to Australian cuisine. But as I said, only the one Australian restaurant at the bottom of 50, which would lead you to hope and presume that Attica and uh, Bray and hopefully some others are in that list. The top 10 from last year is a who's who of gastronomic splendour. A who's who, might I add, which is conspicuously bereft of one thing. And this will give you an idea of the difference between the world top 50 and the Michelin Guide. If I was to ask you how many Michelin stars, say, Noma has, most people would say, that's got three. That's the best restaurant in the world. Well, you'd be wrong. It's never had more than two. If I was to ask you what last year's number one restaurant, Osteria Francescana, how that ranked in the Michelin Guide, you'd say, well, that's three. You'd be wrong. It doesn't. Well, it's top 50 of the Michelin Guide look at different things. The Michelin Guide is a, a combination of comfort, luxury, etc. Whereas the world's top 50 seems to veer more towards the adventurous and those focusing on their cuisine above all else. Which is why, as a whole, even though I do adore the Michelin Guide and the history and prestige behind it, 
I tend to think that the world's top 50 is a better reflection of where we're going in the world of food. Last year's top 10. Number 10, Asador Extrabari in Expo in Spain. You might know this. Um, you you might have heard of this place if you've ever heard of the um, excellently regarded restaurant Fyador in Sydney. You'll know that they cook everything over flames, and that's their gimmick. Well, that dude worked there. Um, sort of pioneered the cooking over coals, you know, cooking live baby eels in sieved fry pans and um, giant cuts of meat. Um, Recently read an amazing review on a very highly recommended food blog called London Eater. If you're interested in keeping up in all the goings-on in the European food scene, I would recommend checking that out. And the recent review of that particular restaurant. A game changer for sure. At number nine, Stoderak in Vienna in Austria. Shout out to my cousin Jack. He's been a supporter of Scoff. Hello, old boy. Hope you're well. Uh, Jack, on a recent trip to Germany and Austria, had the pleasure of dining at Steirchik and gave it nothing but praise. Hello, Jack. Hope you're well. Number eight, Narisawa in Tokyo, Japan. The highest rating of the Asian restaurants. Uh, one which is constantly considered um, to be in the top ten. It's a mainstay. He deserves to be there, always has been. Number seven, the previously mentioned Muguritz, where uh, Dan Hunter got his start. Um, Mirazur in France, number six. Number five, Noma, former number one. I think we just, the world knows enough about Noma. They're currently in Mexico doing one of their jaunts around the world, as they're prone to do. And, you know, bravo, good on them. Bringing, bringing their particular brand of forage goodness to all stretches of the world. Uh, number four is Lima Central in Peru. Um, enjoyed that recent episode of Chef's Table focusing on Central um, and the sort of un misunderstood Peruvian food. Staffed almost exclusively by people who appear to be supermodels. Worth a look. Number three, I see 11 Madison Park. Probably the glitziest and most glamorous of these restaurants Overlooking the city in one of the best locations on earth in New York. Um, Daniel Hume's um, avant, progressive, obsessive approach to hospitality and cuisine has given him um, a level, an air reserved for very few before him um, and one of the true temples of gastronomy. Number two, the perennial also ran. It did take the title briefly for one year. Um, it has uh, fallen behind Noma in the past and then overtaken Noma. And then in recent years, a new number one has stepped to the fore. But El Sela de Canaroca in Jalona in Spain. Um, what I would say is that is the heir to the throne of Spanish cuisine. That's right. When El Bui closed, there was a bit of a gap. And El Sela de Canroca and the uh, the brothers, the Canroca brothers, have certainly taken that and run with it. And that is one of the number one destinations on earth if you're a fine diner. And number one, Massimo Batura's Osteria Francescana in Medina. Of course, he has a little bit of an advantage being in Medina, being the home of all of the deliciousness on earth. The best parmesan cheese, the best balsamic vinegar, the best olive oil. This man's got it all his fingertips, but he doesn't just cook average Italian food. He cooks crazy Italian food. And he'll be one of the stars of the show. Everyone will be wanting to have a beer with Massimo on Sunday night. In fact, 
it's probably worth just wandering around Ligon Street after the awards in the hope that Massimo comes bundling up the street, pissed as a parrot, holding his recently won award, and you can have a beverage with Massimo somewhere on Ligon Street. For what it's worth, I'm tipping Noma to drop a little bit this year. Um, no doubt that in the constant expansion and attempts to um, cover various countries, you know, their, their sojourn to Sydney, um, previously they, they did a pop-up at the Mandarin Oriental in Tokyo, and now with their trip to Mexico, um, it would be very difficult for them in between times to maintain that standard. Uh, I'm tipping the biggest jumper this year, and somewhat unoriginally, I'm tipping Bray to make a real leap from 65. I can see that jumping up into the top 30, um, especially with a greater exposure coming uh, with the awards being in Melbourne and, from what I understand, a more frequent um, visiting schedule from the judges to that particular part of Sunny Bray. They're certainly not going there for any other restaurants. They're going there for Bray. I'm tipping Bray to take a leap this year. It certainly is at the pointy end of one of the better restaurants you'll ever experience. But my tip for number one, I think uh, Daniel Holmes' 11 Madison Park will make the jump this year. Um, he's been tooling away um, day in, day out for so long. Um, and just just being, as I said, obsessive about the level of service and the um, attention to detail that they provide at that particular restaurant. Um, so that's my tip. Would be interested to hear yours. Give me a shout on Instagram. You can send me an email if you like at scoffpodcast at gmail.com. We can have a chat about it. I'm looking forward to covering it all next week. The comings and goings of the world's top 50. Fingers crossed for Attica. Fingers crossed for Bray. Get around us. We want to make a bigger foot footprint uh, on this planet, on this scene. We want to see more things like this come to Melbourne um, and truly give us the recognition we deserve as one of the great eating cities in the world. All right, let's ta- catch our breath. That was interesting. I've got too much energy. It's all this kale and vegetables I've been eating. Need some bread to clog me down and make me as depressed, smarmy, and and sort of anti-world as I normally am. So, for that very reason, I think I'm going to forego a rant this week. I'm actually too at peace with the world. I am so bereft of salt, sugar in my system that my normal hyper-aggressive self has been replaced by a tranquil, serene gentleman who's just going to kick back, close his eyes, drift off into the world... And dream of next week's podcast where we'll be talking about the freshly laid egg that is the world's top 50 restaurants, plus a review of a Melbourne icon, plus by that time I will have broken my spell and I'll be ready for a big dirty rant. Thank you for listening to Scuff. See you next week.